the one and only Cliff Richard and the Shadow. Hi, this is David Ghosty Wills, and welcome to episode 20 of the We Say Yeah podcast, a monthly unofficial Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast where we review and discuss every single EP and LP in chronological order. This month, we present something of an auxiliary episode about Jet Harris and Tony Meehan with Ace Shadows collector Mark J. Daniels. You know, for a show that only comes out once a month and has 60 years' worth of music to cover, to suddenly now dedicate episodes to sidebar discussions (laughs) may cause some listeners hoping to live long enough to hear us cover the entire catalog, doubt they'll ever make it. But Jed and Tony were such a huge part of the story so far. We've talked about them every month, month after month. It just seemed odd to suddenly stop talking about them. And they deserve a show of their own. So that's what this is, and I hope you enjoy. But before we get into today's discussion, we have a number of comments and reactions from our listeners to get to. And a few news items. You know, whenever a podcast that presumably will exist forever somewhere in the Ethernet talks about the latest news, you you run the risk of boring people in the future who are listening to this. And this is old news to them. So for you folks in the future, think of these as happy memories. Um, I'm sure everybody by now has heard Cliff Richard and the Shadows 1961 cover of My Blue Heaven being used in a Levi's 501 jeans commercial. When whippoorwills call And the evening is nigh I'm so happy in my blue heaven Now, I think this is great. I have no problem with a song being used in a commercial. Nowadays, advertisements are the perfect vehicle to get a song out there to an audience who otherwise may never have heard it. Getting a song on a TV show or in a movie or on a TV advert is huge. It's really the radio of today, to be honest. It serves the exact same function. The other piece of news I have for you is that Sir Cliff will be duetting with Anne Margaret on a cover of the Frankie Valli song, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, for Anne Margaret's new album, Born to be Wild, out on April 14th. In addition to Cliff... Other guests on the album include Pete Townsend, Jim McCarty, The Fuzz Tones, Rick Wakeman, Pat Boone, The Oak Ridge Boys, Brian Auger. It's a huge list of people. And it just goes to show you that when Anne margaret calls, you just say yes, apparently. Everybody just says yes. All right, let's get into some of the comments and reactions regarding our last two episodes. This one comes to us from Ronald in Berlin, and this is about... Uh, our Christmas show with Mark Cunningham. He says, Little Town is by far the best Christmas song by Cliff, in my humble opinion. So well sung and also gorgeously produced. I remember when it came out as a single just before Christmas, and I never really understood why it didn't go higher than number 11 on the charts. It's so much better than Mistletoe and Wine. Maybe it was a mistake to already include it on his Now You See Me LP that summer, because every Cliff fan would therefore already know it. Strange, anyway, to put a Christmas song on a summer release, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I guess it is. Although on the Rise Up album, there's also a Christmas song, right? The Miracle of Love. Did the Rise Up album come out in the summer? I'll have to do some 
digging around all that. By the way, on that episode with Mark, we talked about what we'd like to see in 2023. Here we are in 2023. And Mark's idea, which Ronald also mentioned that he liked, was a Cliff and the Shad's Unplugged album. And Darren Price, over on Cliff Richard Radio, uh, left a message on the Facebook page saying that he agreed that a summer holiday celebration would be um, something cool to have happen in 2023. Why not both? Why not both? Bjorn Hansen contacted us about the last episode we had with Justin and Gradeep of TCB Cast. He says, another great podcast. Thank you so much. The 32 Minutes and 17 Seconds album was geared towards European markets in 1962. Very few people knew of the previous recording of It'll Be Me by Jerry Lee Lewis. It's mostly cover versions on this album, but by 1962, Cliff Richard was definitely the biggest star in Europe, and this was mainly because of his voice. So many fans just wanted to hear him sing, and they bought the record. So yes, it was a potluck of songs from the European Elvis Presley. The iconic album cover may not show the precise number of seconds, but a subsequent CD release probably showed the right time. And then he posted um, a CD release that showed 32 minutes and 42 seconds with Cliff Richard. If you listen to the last episode, you'll get that joke. Richard Stedman writes, Hi, Ghosty, great podcast and some interesting comparisons. I was interested in your take on You Don't Know, as I had never heard the B.B. King version, which is so different to Cliff and the Shads. However, you should check out the Peggy Lee recording from 1958, which was the flip side to Fever. I think that this is the recording that influenced the Cliff version. It has an acoustic jazz feel, and the guitar work of Hank Marvin resembles the Peggy Lee version closely. You don't know, baby. You don't know, baby. No, you don't. You don't know, baby. No, you don't. No, you can't know how I feel. You know, Richard, and I'll speak for myself and Justin and Gurdip, we put a lot of effort into researching the, the songs that we were going to discuss. I think... We totally missed that. We totally missed that what Cliff and the Shadows were trying to do was they were trying to do a variation on the Peggy Lee version of that song. So now it makes uh, a lot more sense. Although I always liked it. I, you know, w when you cover a blues song, you don't have to imitate exactly how the original was. You can do it any way you want. You want to do like a slow, seductive blues like you don't know? I'm all for it. And finally, Ian Firth says, I look forward to every episode. Thank you so much. Only problem is, will I live long enough to hear the last one? Well, I hope so. I hope I live long enough to do the last one. But we are many episodes away from that. This is only episode 20 with Shadows Collector Extraordinaire Mark J. Daniels as we reflect upon the careers outside of the Shadows of both Jed Harris and Tony Meehan. And I began by asking Mark how he discovered the shadows in the first place. Well, it all started for me back in 1977, 20 Golden Greats, when that was released. And I bought that, and then on the cover, 
like was uh, other albums you could buy, and I went out and bought other albums by The Shadows. Well, it snowballed from there. Well, that's interesting. You know, in America in the early 70s, and it stretched into the later 70s, there was a nostalgia for the 50s craze and early 60s. And we had uh, American graffiti and TV shows like Happy Days. I guess it culminated with Greece in 1978. I know the same sort of thing happened in Britain, especially with Rockabilly, which became all the rage for a while. And punk rock came along at that same time. Yes, I was more into glam rock, which is the early 70s. And when that started to die off, the punk rock scene took off. And I was not into that. I couldn't get used to that. But with uh, that release, the 20 Golden Greats release, I went back in time then, music-wise. So you have a pretty large collection of original Shadows records, and by that time they would have been 15 or 16 years old, so were they easy to come by in shops? Fairly easy. Yeah? Because I was, I was lucky enough, I, was, I live in London, and there's a few record shops, oldie record shops, and a few local markets. Go in there, you can get good copies, cheap price, originals, and uh, that's how I started. I've collected all, anything to do with the Shadows or Solos, even when they was called the Drifters, even when it was released in America. They was known as the Four Jets, got some of those. So over the last 30 years, 40 years now, I think, I've started to get a fair collection. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wanted you on this particular program, because I know you have all of these Jet and, and Tony releases. So let's talk about... Jed Harris and Tony Meehan. First, let's talk about the circumstances of their leaving the shadows. And we'll start with Tony Meehan. He was the first to go. I've read all of these articles in, I guess, NME and maybe Melody Maker that are allegedly written by Tony explaining why he left the shadows. But we've since learned that that's not actually true. That was a lot of PR and Tony was let go, really. Yes, rumours have that his uh, timekeeping was pretty poor. Turned up late at gigs. The band was already on stage and he come wandering on because he was late. But, you know, man, obviously he's young. Right, he right. got married in 1960, had a young child. Yeah. He was bored with touring. So Tony leaves in October 1961, and he starts working for Joe Meek as a session drummer. He becomes a producer and arranger for Joe Meek, and then he transitions into that role, a similar role, at Decca Records. And he's there when the Beatles arrived at Decca for their audition on, of all days, New Year's Day. Why you would have an audition New Year's Day. I mean, you were out the night before partying and then you're going to have an audition on New Year's Day. It's, it's somebody's bad idea. And uh, there's all this controversy. I don't know if you've read Mark Lewison's book, Tune In, but there's this big controversy about Tony Meehan's role in all of this, that Tony Meehan may have been the, really the guy responsible for the Beatles not getting signed to DECA. George Harrison has said that um, Tony was very full of himself and standoffish, and as a result, George felt like Tony wasn't respectful to them or something. Yeah, well, I've heard it. There was three guys, Tony Meehan, Mike Smith and uh, Dick Rowe. And Tony let them in. But you've got to admit, Tony, I mean, just come out of the shadows, the biggest band in the UK and Europe at the time. So you open the door and you see Tony Meehan there. Yeah, he may have come over as being a bit flesh. But I'm not sure if Tony had a lot of input. You know, I mean, as you said, he's only just started at Decca. He's only a junior producer and 
A&R man, we have a two or more experience. So how much input Tony, me and really had, I'm not sure. But, yeah, he may have come over as being a bit bit flash. But at the time, the uh, Shadow's first LP was released in September. So he, even though he left the Shadow's, he done well. Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, if you listen to the Beatles audition tape for Decca, it's not good. I mean, I, I can understand why they were rejected by uh, different labels. They don't sound destined for greatness. The salt, the chime, the bubble. So we'll leave Tony Meehan at Decker Records in January of 1962. And now let's move on to Jet Harris, who leaves the shadows in April of 1962. He's out of the group for different reasons. And uh, one of those reasons is his drinking is starting to become an issue. Yes, that was true. He had some, I think, some personal problems. Obviously, his marriage wasn't too great at the time for certain reasons and yeah he hit the bottle where was it new musical express awards and they had a free bar and he spent a good part of that before they went on stage sort of thing and uh he ended up in the big rare i understand where he got his marching orders okay i generally don't like to get into the band members personal lives on this podcast unless it's something that's going to directly affect the music. And in this case, and it's no secret, I mean, uh, Cliff even wrote a bit about it in his book, The Dreamer, and uh, Jet's talked about it. Um, Jet was no angel, certainly, but Cliff had an affair with Jet's wife. There's no other way to say it. I know that over the years, Jet has said, oh, I don't blame Cliff for that. And Cliff has said, oh, but Jet and I were still friends. And, you know, these guys can say whatever they want. But (laughs) you cannot tell me that something like that can go on in a band and it's not going to change the dynamics of that band. I mean, there's just it's just impossible. Exactly how I feel. I mean, you're on stage and you're staring at the back of the guy who's, you know, been having an affair with your wife. I can't see it lasting much longer. I mean, you've got something's got to be said, isn't it? Yeah. But the good news is Jet's solo career takes off almost immediately. He signs with Decca, which is great because Tony Meehan's already there. And he releases a single in May of 1962. So he wastes no time putting out new music. And the A side of his first single is Besame Mucho, which is ironic because the Beatles played that song on their Decca audition, which didn't get them anywhere. But for Jet, this song hits number 22 on the UK Hit Parade. Mm-hmm. 
And the flip side is a version of the Ronnie Love song Chills and Fever. And this B side is now probably more famous than the A side because it was used on a TV show, the name of which I can't say on this podcast, or else we'll get flagged for profanity. But you can look it up online. Chills and fever, ooh. Chills and fever, chills and fever is what you give to me. When you hold my hand and tell me that I'm your loving man, kiss me. A couple months later, we get another single from Jed Harris. This time it's the main theme from The Man with the Golden Arm. And this is where I pause the show just to say that this is one of the coolest records anybody ever made ever. (laughs) It's a really, really great record. And the flip side is a song called Some People, not to be confused with another song called Some People, which we'll get to on this podcast in about 25 years. But um, interesting stuff. Kids today have gone astray Well, they should know Cause they're all mixed up too Some people think that kids are bad Well, that's too bad Cause they don't know As I said, Besame Mucho hits number 22 And the man with the golden arm Shoots all the way up to No pun intended Shoots all the way up to number 12 So right out of the gate Jet is doing really, really well Yeah, I enjoy them both Obviously, he had a good producer, didn't he? Jack Good. So he was looked after. And um, he's got a band now. Now it's Jet and the Jet Blacks. But tonight, we get off the way instrumentally with Mr. Jet Harris and the Jet Blacks. So here we go, Jet Harris with the Jet Blacks and Man From Nowhere. There was also the Jed Harris EP, which included songs like Rave and Real Wild Child.
I guess it made sense because, as I mentioned, Tony's at DECA, Jed is at DECA, that they would team up. They already had a shared history as members of the Shadow, so they team up as a duo. But you've got to wonder. I mean, these guys have just left the Shadows, and now all of a sudden they're teaming up. Basically, half the original lineup of the Shadows has now branched off to become a rival act. I wonder if there was any uh, competition between the two. Yeah. Again, some good songs from uh, Jerry Lorden. And I did yeah. hear that Bruce wasn't too happy with Jerry giving diamonds and Scarlet O'Hara to the enemy sort of thing. All right, so let's talk about that first Jet and Tony single. The A-side was Diamonds. This this was released in January 1963. Tony Meehan is producing. And Diamonds, as you mentioned by Jerry Lorden, is a, a huge hit. Yeah, number one. I think he knocked the shadows off the number one spot. And the flip side was an original song by Tony Meehan called Footstomp. The tune that they were playing was going through my head. But now I've heard that tune so much I wish that I was dead. Footstomp. As you say, it was a great single. Great, great single. It got promoted on the TV and whatnot. It was good. They went on tour. Obviously, Jack was touring with the Jet Blacks, but then Tony changed a few personnel, brought in Joe Moretti, John Baldwin, who later turned in John Paul Jones for Led Zeppelin. See, they put a good band together to take them out on the road to promote all these. So now we get to the next single, released in April 1963. The flip side is Doing the Holly Gully. You can actually see Jet and Tony perform this song, doing the Holly Gully, in the movie Just for Fun, which we played a clip of uh, earlier, The Man from Nowhere. Um, as far as vocals go, because a lot of these tracks, especially the B-sides, have either Jet singing, in this case Tony singing, um, you know, it's okay. Uh, you know, it, it, an admirable effort, I guess. But really, it's the A-side that made all the noise. Scarlett O'Hara, this song goes to number two. And it's another monster hit.
But as I understand it, Jets not actually playing on this. Uh, not at the recording, I believe. For some reason, Jet was unwell. And the recording you hear is Joe Moretti. But obviously, Jet done it on tour. But for some reason, on that recording day, he was unwell. But they still put it out under Jet's name, even though he wasn't playing on the recording. The third single, released in August of 1963, is kind of a repeat of the formula on the last one, because the B-side is a song written by Tony Meehan called The Tall Texan. And the A-side is another hit, this time at number four, a song written by Les Van Dyke and Bridget Damare, who was Tony Meehan's wife at the time. And again, Jet Harris is not playing on this track. Yeah, Applejack. Again, I believe that was Joe Moretti playing the lead. But then straight after that, that was released, and within a week, it was an accident. Yeah, let's talk about that, because this car accident from September 1963 was certainly covered in the press, but they may have downplayed the seriousness of this car accident a little bit. So so what exactly happened? It was him and uh, Billy Davis were traveling in the show in the back of a chauffeured car, and it was in collision with a uh, single-decker bus. And the bus was supposed to be in a write-off, so they must have really clouded it. And obviously, at them days, you had no seatbelt sort of thing, and Jack smashed his head on an ashtray. Billy Davis received a broken jaw. It really took the stuffing out of him. You know what I mean? He didn't recover, really. Even though he did come back in 64 and make a single, he disappeared for a few years i'm curious about this single that comes out after the accident that's just tony Meehan on his own song of mexico backed with kings go fifth obviously after jet's accident there was still a contract to be fulfilled so ah go on his own and he went under the name of the tony Meehan combo with joe moretti's john paul jones and all that now i'm not sure if the contract said they wanted four singles and the song for Mexico was to finish that contract up. Another Jerry Lorden track, Song of Mexico. It's a good record. He's pretty good. And, you know, Tony's been producing all of these records all along, so it just makes sense for him to just continue on, 
you know, producing records. And he has a great career. I mean, he's producing for Roger Daltrey and he does a Tim Harden record and he's even producing singles for Glenn Johns. There's another Beatles connection there. So he, he did really well for himself. Yeah. You know, he seemed to be, that he was more comfortable in the control room. He left Decca in about 65 and went independent. You know, Roger Daltrey, as you said, Eric Burden, and quite a few others. Meanwhile, Jet releases two more singles in the 60s and uh, a couple more in the 70s. Also a live album recorded in a prison, which is pretty interesting. But despite all these stops and starts, the big comeback for Jet Harris just continues to elude him. I know drinking was part of it, but what else? What else do you think? I mean, what else was stopping this momentum for him? Traveling, I think he said. He wasn't too comfortable with all the traveling up and down the motorways. I don't know if he still had recurrence or his accident, but he just couldn't get back into it. He was like in and out, been back in, come back out. But then, you know, I mean, come the 80s, he started to get back into it. Yeah, and amazingly, it's Cliff who reunites Jet and Tony on stage in 1989 for the event concert, and they perform Move It. Please, will you welcome back onto this stage Tony Meehan and Jet Harris. This is what started it all off. right and jet always says you mean that was one of the highlights of his career stepping out on that stage and you've got hundred thousand people looking at you you mean the airs on his neck who's just saying that he said i think that really got him more motivated to get back into him because from then he'd done a few more like these 60 shows and tribute shows and he kicked the drink and, you know, he'd made a few good CDs. What of the latter-day Jet Harris solo albums is your favourite? Well, I've got to say, the one I really like is his last one, The Journey. But, you know, you have a look at some of the... He'd done them with uh, Bobby Graham, Diamonds and Our Trumps. You know, I mean, some of them redoing, updated sort of things, they, they come out quite well. The Journey is the one, though, that has his tribute to Tony Meehan on it, right? Song for Tony. Yes, Beautiful song.
When Tony Meehan passed away, I don't think that his death warranted the amount of attention it should have in the press. No, it's, you know, see, at that time, was it 2005? He got very little, no headlines in the paper, nothing really major, but it was a great loss. Because just before he passed away, he turned up quite a few times at Bruce Welsh's Shadowmania. And they used to have a little question and answer on the stage with him, Jet, Bruce. And he used to ask a question, like the audience used to ask some questions. And uh, he, he looked well, he was doing well, you know, but I couldn't believe it when I heard. You know, I bet there are a lot of people listening who never went to any of these Shadowmania events. I never went to one. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your experience at those. I was lucky enough to attend almost every single one. I missed the last one. But the first one, 98, that was the first time I, I see Jet on the stage. Right? And he walked on. And he didn't say a word, just walked on, and the audience just went mad, standing yeah. in the two minutes before he even done anything. So he was well loved. Also, Brian Bennett turned up to a couple, and he mm-hmm. played with his son, Warren Bennett. They had a little uh, segment in the show where they played half a dozen hits with Brian Bennett and the drums. Brian also joined Bruce because Bruce was closed the uh, Shadow Mania day with a hours show with his own little band. He also had, obviously, Brian Lick was locking. We also had Alan Hawkshaw. And you had other bands from all over Europe playing the Shadows. It was a Shadows day from... Three o'clock in the morning, right to like eleven o'clock midnight. And as you say, by this time Jet was sober. He'd been sober for a few years, and he was really back. Yeah, he done well. Obviously, in the late, his late years, say the nineties, he was top notch. I used to see him just Jet and the backing group of the Rapiers, and and he always put a great show on. Great show. Like these Shadow Manias, he used to get there on a Friday, right? And he used to go there, and he was just in the. Uh, reception of the uh, hotel because there was a hotel on, on the same place and he used to talk to fans sign whatever you, you wanted to sign same as Nick was looking they both was there and it was very pleasant always willing to talk to everyone have their picture done he was never rude to anyone and he just got on with it when was the last time you saw Jet live? a year before he passed away on the Isle of Wight in a show and uh he, he, yeah, he, he was looking withdrawn then. He was, you could see, he was not hundred percent. But he, he got on stage and he give the full, he give you the full money, full whack, hundred percent, no problem. Right. You know, he didn't look too good, but obviously towards the end, yeah, he, his illness did take hold. He had cancer. Well, he left behind an incredible legacy. I mean, we're still talking about him today. Um, you know, just one of the all-time greats. Oh, yeah. You see the shadows in the early days. He was a standout guy. He was the smallest one there, but he he was, you know, I mean, he looked the part. Standing there with his big bass, his old quiff blonde there. He looked, he did <laughs> look the business. So I referenced at the top of this discussion your incredible collection of Shadows records and Shadows memorabilia. Where online can people look at all of this stuff and share their stories and their treasures and catch up with you and what you're doing i run a facebook page called the shadows collectors corner and it's basically whatever people have got in their collection 
You know what I mean? You might be signed photos, signed LPs, any pictures, any posters, whatever. You know what I mean? And people have got some great stories attached to these uh, these things. And it's always good to share between what you've got, what he's got, you know. So he's doing, and it's going quite well. But I've got to say, I do love the podcast. I'm a great fan of it. I've listened to every single one. Downloaded every single one. And I think it's great. You're doing a grand job, son. My thanks once again to Mark J. Daniels for appearing on the show this month. If you'd like to get in touch with the We Say Yeah podcast, there are many ways to do it. We have an email address. It's we say yeah podcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter also as we say yeah. And you can find us on our ever active Facebook page, which is largely where most of the activity takes place. And that's we say yeah over on Facebook. By the way, my apologies to the halfway to paradise page or group, I think it is on Facebook, for accidentally sharing my post 25 times on your page there was a problem with facebook i I was pressing the button and i didn't think it was uh, sharing i only meant to share it once and it must have shared it uh, a bunch of times um unfortunately they've blocked me (laughs) from that page so if anyone's listening from that page it was not my intention to share it 25 times just once just once like the song Next month, Jim Nugent will be joining us as we review and discuss the Out of the Shadows LP from 1962, the second Shadows Long Player. So we'll see you in 30 days and 17 seconds. We say yeah. We say yeah. We say yeah.